Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 will be our text this morning. We'll read that in just one moment. I want to welcome every one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It has been a delight already to hear your voices, to lift our voices together in worship and in gratitude for the amazing grace that God has demonstrated to us. I had a dream. I, w- I woke up this morning. I lost page two of my notes. And in my world, that's like, like a nightmare, a catastrophe. And I, I keep my notes right there, and I open it up, and page two was there. So everything's okay, just to let you know. It doesn't take much to rattle me, okay? But, but we, are, we are grateful that the Holy Spirit is real, and the Holy Spirit is real powerful to help us in moments like this. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we um, dive into this text together? <clears throat> Father, we are most grateful once again that in your sovereign will, you have allowed us these few moments to be together. Father, we have a, a text before us, and I, I pray already that the Holy Spirit would begin to stir in hearts to know that it is, it is not need it there, there's no reason while any of us should ever hide our sin fathers we have this amazing text before us I would pray Lord that you would remind each person that we live as children of light we live in openness we live in transparency and we live Lord in the shadow of the cross knowing that the worst of our sins have been totally forgiven that we can be redeemed and set free we thank you lord that it took even the pain of the the act of adam and eve where we were in a sense dead in our sin to be reminded of the work of jesus father i pray right now that your spirit would descend amongst us i pray right now for people who 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 in all honesty their hearts are churning literally just churning in in turmoil and torment and father i would pray that you would minister that your perfect will would be accomplished in these few moments and lord selfishly i ask that you would please be with with me clear my mind um, allow the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you lord we we stand amazed just just thrilled at who you are the gift that we have to worship you like this. And I pray, Lord, that this time would be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Very quickly, here we go. Uh, Creation account, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything out of nothing. The power of God, we've seen this, and the power of his spoken word. And everything had been perfect. It It was precise, it was beautiful, and it was blissful. And then last week, we began, as we entered chapter 3, it, 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 all, it all came crashing down. Literally, it all went to hell. And when we see what happened here, that Satan, the serpent, has questioned and attacked the validity and the credibility of the word of God, casting doubt and, and lying directly, just directly lying. That's what he does, the father of lies. 
telling Adam and Eve, you, you're not going to die. We saw last week that Eve not only minimalizes the word of God by removing the certainty of death, but she actually added it to God's word by saying, neither shall you touch it lest you die. This week I read that Eve was the first legalist who, who made up laws that God did not even command. There's danger to that. Well, Adam, on the other hand, what? He just abdicates totally his God-given, God-ordained role and responsibility to lead his wife by silently following. He didn't warn his wife. He didn't remind his wife the certainty of God's word. He just, he just goes along with it. If it looks good, if it tastes good, well, I guess this is for us, right? Wrong, wrong. We don't make the rules. God in his authority makes the rules. And the result was what? Death. Now, it's not immediate physical death, but it was immediate spiritual death. Our Kent Hughes says it well. Both Adam and Eve, in fact, died right there at the tree of knowledge of good and evil while the taste of the fruit was yet on their lips. So what exactly does this mean at some level? That they don't physically fall over death, but there's an immediate spiritual death. French theologian Henri Blocker explains, in the Bible, death is the reverse of life. It's not the reverse of existence. To die does not mean to cease to be, but in biblical terms, it means to be cut off from the land of the living. It is a diminished existence, but in existence nevertheless. So think about this, since dying is still existing, Adam and Eve's existence from this point forward was now one of death. Adam and Eve were representatives of us, the entire human race. It's interesting to note that Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. That's physical, ultimately, and spiritual, immediately. But the free gift of God is eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have to hold on to. So here it is, okay? Here it is. So now that they ate, what next? Pick it up with me. The verses are um, verse 8 through verse 13. The words will be on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the word of the Lord. And they heard... The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The word of the Lord. It is, we, we call it what? It is the ultimate classic game that we have all played. And I'm a big advocate that we are never too old to, to stop playing this game where it goes something like this. You, you hide your eyes and you count maybe to, to 25 or to 50. And as you're counting, you're listening very carefully for footsteps somewhere. As closet doors open or maybe the shower curtain rustles a little bit. And then when you get to 50, you yell, what? Ready or not, here I come. It's, it's the classic. Hide and seek. Some of you need to loosen up a little bit by playing a little hide and seek. I was blessed to grow up at a Christian camp, and we didn't play hide-and-seek. Let me just tell you that. We, like, raised the bar, okay? We played manhunt. Same premise, but it's 400 acres. We played on horseback with spotlights. I remember having a blackened face while I was riding a white horse, which makes no sense at all. But, but it's epic, and I think about whether or not it's little kids, you know, ready or not, or whether or not it's what. It's man. The, the premise is the same. Your idea is what? Don't get found. Don't get found. And yet today, what's interesting, rather than hide and seek, what's happening is the inverse. This is actually, I don't want to really call it a game. It's, it's really seek and hide number one what's happening here god is seeking they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and then it says the lord calls to the man you know there are passages many passages as we study the scriptures that just prompt so many questions. And this obviously is one of them. The sound, like what does the sound of Elohim Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim walking in the cool of the garden, what does it sound like? We know that God is what? He's omnipresent. We know that he is everywhere at all time. And, and yet this speaks of a special place of God's presence here on earth. And God didn't come down. Okay? He was already here. And what this does is it points us to this what? This desired closeness. That we have been in a sense what? Designed for intimacy. There's a longing that God has for relationship with us. And yet there's what? As Gerhard von Rad would say, the rustle of God's step. What is that? It's a sound that probably, I'm just guessing, Adam and Eve have probably heard it before. And they heard it with joy and they heard it with delights. This time, they hear the rustle of God's step. And there is an immediate sense of dread. Terror. You, you know the feeling. 
You know the feeling when what? When the walls are closing in on you. And you know you can't, there's nothing. So what has happened here? From delight to dread, has God changed? Absolutely not. So much. So much of our, our limited and I would say fallen understanding of God is that, and this is the world promotes, okay, that he is waiting at some point and wanting to punish us. That God is what, sneaking around, waiting to condemn us, to hurt us in some way. But I believe here in this text it reveals God's desire. His long is what? For mankind to be with him. For mankind to be near him. For mankind to be like him. We were created in his image. And this verbiage here speaks intentionally of the beauty of the garden. Think of this. The freshness and the coolness and the lushness of it. While at the same time revealing to us that God is not running. I'm, I'm going to get them. No, no. God is, God is just calmly walking. God is not screaming or yelling to, to attack them in some way. God is just graciously, what? Calling. God did not come in the heat of the day, or he did not come in the darkness of the night. God came at the best time of the day. God did not come in some spectacular show of anger or displeasure. God simply was asking, where are you? Think about the element of salvation that exists here. A divine work. It is a divine gift for us. And it is thoroughly what? All of God. Talk of the fact that God seeking us is Trinitarian in its very nature. Where each one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit works sov sovereignly and seamlessly. Without the gracious purpose of the Father, there is no salvation. Without the satisfactory, satisfactory work of the Son, there is no salvation. Without the faithful agency of the Spirit, there is no salvation. We see what's happening here, that God is revealing himself and he's calling himself to us. And just stop for a moment on that very idea. You realize here, this is the first time and it is certainly not the last time that God is seeking those. He's seeking those who are hiding in shame because of their sin. Do you realize that at this very moment, God seeks you? He's the one who takes the initiative in seeking you, in saving you. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus Christ informs his disciples of the, the unbroken. It's the unbreakable solidarity between what? Between him, God the Son, and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. He says this in John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me for what he will take, what is mine, and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I laid that he will. I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. God, in a sense, is seeking you with his whole self. I was encouraged this week by reading the... Oh, 
Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to these words. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep. And I, and I will seek them out. And I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the scattered. And I will bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. You know, at some level, we have the tragedy of brokenness and sin, but it's because of that, and it's with that, that we see the beauty of God's hand, what, extended. And the power of God as he is revealing himself. It says in Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I think of another text of Scripture. I think of those who, who perhaps are here. And in this particular text, in Revelation chapter 3, those who know the Lord, but you also know that you have wandered far from the Lord. And you're not living, what? In, in fellowship. You're not living in the sweetness of the relationship that God has designed. Remember the invitation that the Lord offers to the church of Laodicea? It says that they were neither hot nor cold. They were suffering from a spiritual lukewarmness. Maybe that's you in a tepid state this morning. Revelation chapter 3. Yet we know this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me there's a desire there's a longing that god has for you to come unto him yet we know that god had the right he had the right to be absolutely furious his word had been directly disobeyed his authority had been directly disregarded, and yet he is graciously seeking them out. When Adam and Eve, who at this point didn't even know the full consequence and the weight of their disobedience, and, and they will hear of it, and you will learn of it in the next few verses. And we will realize what? The fact that all sin has consequence. I want you to hear me on this. I want you to hear me on this. Because we say God is just so cruel and God is so mean. And how, how dare God? You realize the consequences of sin do not omit grace. They actually reveal grace. You understand that? You understand the consequences of sin don't withhold mercy. They're actually offering mercy. Do you realize that whatever our reproach is, whatever your sin is against a holy God, and whatever consequences that earns you, we are actually deserving of much more. We're actually deserving of much worse than any consequence we can face that's the beauty that's the beauty of the gospel of jesus christ that's why everything that we do yes there is pain as a result of man's brokenness and sinfulness and it is evident everywhere and that consequence of you even still breathing and still being here is evidence of god's grace and god's mercy that points us to the majestic gospel number one god is seeking and number two what is happening here 
mankind is hiding. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, I've heard this, and, and I, I can't uh, substantiate the source of it, but I, I've heard that, that as human beings, we use approximately 10% of our brain capacity. Like even, even like you brilliant people that are out there, maybe you're pushing 10 and a half, okay, 11. But on average... They say that the, the, the ability that we have, we're actually what? In a broken world, in a sinful world, we're functioning about them. While Adam and Eve know what created absolutely perfect, apart from sin up to this moment, we're using 100% of their brain. Then you begin to kind of follow the story, and I'm like, Adam and Eve, wow, 100%. And then you're like, Really? Like, I don't know why, but I'm not real impressed with Adam and Eve right here. I mean, they got 90% more than you and I have at some level, and this is like the best that they could come up with. They really thought for a moment, I got a good hiding spot. From God in chapters 1 and 2, and we, we spent a lot of time on this, over two months, being the absolute center of our focus he was what creator he is sustainer he is ruler he's the giver of light he's the giver of what happens in chapter three when adam cried, i was for wrong that has been committed and apparently if you've ever done any study on fig leaves they're actually they're actually pretty big leaves but the fig leaves were not enough. Why? Because something's wrong here, okay? So, something, something broke big time. What a dangerous, and think about this. This is even a delusional thing. I'm sure something home, or your garage, or your man cave, or your what the, the epic psalms psalm 139 david knew a thing or two about trying to hide his sin at great cost and yet david the psalmist writes these words pay close attention to psalm 139 stop and my lying down, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Where shall my gracious work? I'm, I'm being kind to you and gracious to you to say, you the little scheme, okay, the little charade here, it's not worth it. The best advice that I can give you is this you will be caught. You will be caught. Hebrews says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. Who what? We must give account. Numbers chapter 32. And we know this, be, be sure your sin will find you out. Now what happens is that we automatically think about, well somebody's going to find out. That's actually not what that verse says. 
Be sure your sin will, will find you out. Actually reveals the mystery, the depth, and I will say in a sense the nature of sin. Which what doesn't matter if other people find out about your sin or not. What it means is this, your sin will discover you. And we know that what? What is, what is the enemy's design? To destroy your sin will eat at you, and ultimately the enemy will use that to destroy you. Let me tell you this. You cannot, you cannot, don't think for a moment and buy the lie. You cannot hide. You cannot run. Not from a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. Thirdly and finally, truth is accepting responsibility, not blaming. Truth is accepting responsibility, not blaming. <clears throat> now, it's important to note here, I think it's, it's fascinating that if you don't really realize, to, to note that, that God begins by addressing Adam first. And then God addresses Eve, and then God addresses the serpent, the serpent last. No, that is in the, the right order of responsibility. Adam bears the primary responsibility. Let me say that again. Adam bears the primary responsibility. And God asks two questions here. Question number one, who told you that you were naked? That's a great question. Second question is, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And there's an approach here that God is taking. I have to be just gut honest. I love his approach. I, I love his approach. I, I he, he's saying, he's saying let's, let's get past the act. Okay, let's get past the charade. Got a great hiding spot. Hey, I got an idea. We're going to take these really big leaves and we're going to sew them together. That's just a dumb idea. You try doing that today, you're going to get arrested. Just let me tell you that. God is saying what? Stop trying to dodge. Stop trying to duck and weave and, and cover up. And, and God is saying, let's get to the truth here. Let's get to the point. And he begins with this. Who, who told you? What Was it the serpent that told you that you had no clothes on? Was it your wife who apparently didn't have a problem with it a little well ago? Or, or was, it, was it maybe when you stooped down to get a cold drink of the water that I gave to you and you saw your nakedness in the reflection? Who, who told you? Something is happening here. The, chapter 2 ends with what these words, the very last words, verse 25. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And now what? I was afraid because I was naked. Something happens. What is it? This is, this is what the whole chapter rests upon. Finally, we get to the point. They have been exposed what? In their sinfulness to the holiness of God. It had never happened before. 
They're totally laid bare. Exposed everything to the holiness of God. People, there is not a lot of wiggle room here. You can't shuck and jive. You're going to get caught. It's not too far off. I almost think of a courtroom where God is the judge and he's listening for the answer to the, to the clerk's question. You've probably seen this before. Where what, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And yet all we hear and all we see are excuses. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Blame. It was her. And then what? Victimhood. It's that old serpent. Let, let, me, let me set the record straight here. Yes, there is an enemy. Okay? We'll call it what it is. He is, he is wicked. And he will, he will tempt us. And he will entice. And he will wrap things up and make it look really, really good. But I want you to hear me on this. Don't for one moment put the blame on. Or don't for one moment give credit to Satan for causing you to sin. You are responsible for your actions. Don't blame him. Why? Because we know the truth. When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. And Satan was defeated. Don't go pointing fingers at the old serpents. And yes, we know that God allows the enemy to work. His schemes and his devices to work his plan with a certain degree of freedom. But he restrains far more evil than he ever allows. But please know this. Please understand that Satan's end and his destruction were publicly secured upon the cross where Jesus Christ died. It was then, it was at that very spot... Where what? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Like one of my favorite verses, and I just love the, the imagery behind it. One of my favorite verses, and I, and I know I've probably said that, but I think this is like up, up there. Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, listen to this, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And I love that picture. The battle has been won. Satan has been defeated. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand and he's just waiting for what? When he puts his feet up. And, and it's that picture that we have to hold on to. I, I love, and I want to tell you this in love. Don't blame Satan. Which means what? And this will hurt for some of you. It's not your mother and father's fault. Don't, don't, don't blame your older brother. Don't blame the uncle. Don't, don't blame your third grade teacher. 
Don't, don't blame the bully who picked on you in school. And all of those things are legitimate and real and they hurt. I'm not taking anything from that. But that, that one is not responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your actions. You admit that truth and confess that. Admit the fact that we've got to own our own sinfulness. But I want to tell you this. There's a Savior who dearly and desperately loves you. And he is seeking you. And he offers you complete forgiveness. And his name is Jesus. And there is no need for you to be afraid. Matthew Henry says, like Adam, we have reason to be afraid of approaching, of, of approaching to God if we're not covered and clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that, that's, that's why we unlock and open the doors every single Sunday. That's why we stand up and sing as loud as we can about the righteousness that Christ offers us, declares us, although as what Aaron read in Romans chapter 5, death reigned, ruled through one man. That there's salvation, that there's hope in the second Adam, in a better Adam. And, and so I, I want to close our time this morning by asking you this question right now. What, what is your relationship, you personally, right now? What is your relationship like with God? Got some fig leaves, gonna sew those babies together. I'm just gonna hide. What, what, what are you trying to hide? from him because you have sin. And, and I know that as humans, we do one thing well, okay? Our heart is desperately and deceitfully wicked. But clearly understand, you and I are not the first people that have ever disobeyed the word of God, Adam and Eve. Realize every single one of us, it says in Romans, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, scriptures have made explicitly clear this is the hope if we confess our sin find find someone to come alongside of you and say I need to be honest here I've been hiding some things and it's, it's ruining go to your spouse maybe it's dads or moms you need to go to your children and say I need to confess I've, I've not been leading and shepherding I've not been taking the responsibility like I should be brothers find another brother in the lord or sisters find another godly woman to come alongside and say you need you need to hold me accountable in certain areas of my life because satan is doing all that he can what to wrap things up and make it look really really good and people are chomping on and they're biting that they're disregarding and disobeying but thankfully if we confess our sin he is faithful he is faithful and he is just, perfectly just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People, there is no need to hide. There, there is help and there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how, how do I know that? 
How do I know that? Let, 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 me, let me remind you as what we do regularly as a church to, to remind you why, why, there, why there's no need for us to hide, why we can't hide. Because of the sacrifice that was paid for our sin. And I'm so thankful that one of the two ordinances that God has given to us in a sense to identify who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. First is baptism. We acknowledge the death, the burial, and resurrection. And the second is what regularly we remember the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. His body that was broken, his blood that was poured out. And because this is so what foundational, the hope of the gospel that, 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 that is real, the help that exists, the reason that we don't have to hide is that the consequences of our sin, of ultimate eternal spiritual death, have been paid for through the, what? The work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So important that Jesus, what, the very night and we... He was betrayed. We, we know as we come up, we're coming close to what Passion Week, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. We celebrate not just what commemorating the crucifixion, but celebrating the resurrection. And this is so foundational that, that Jesus, what ultimately says, guys, come here close. And he's speaking to his 12 disciples in that upper room. And he, and he gives them. And he knows the way that he created us. He made us. He knows how we remember things. And you touch something and you smell it and you see it and you taste it. And he said, he took some bread and he broke the bread and he said, this is a picture of my body. This is what's going to happen to me. And he said, I want you to eat it. I just, I just kind of picture those guys. Kind of like a little bite and just moving on. And they're like, it's beginning to be made clear, but it's still a little blurry for them. Like, this is his body. We're eating his body. Okay, we're identifying with Christ. And then it says that he took the fruit of the vine and he, he poured it out. And he said, just as I pour this out, my blood is going to be poured out for you. And then he what? He passed it around and they took a sip of it. And he says, this is a picture of my blood. My blood's going to be shed for you. There's payment for, for sin. There's consequence to sin. But I love you enough to take this for you. And as they passed it around, they took a sip. He said, remember this, remember this. Why? Because the enemy is real, and you're going to be tempted all the way through. And that's why we have to come to the reminder of why we don't have to hide and so we, what, invite believers, people that have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It says in, in 1 Corinthians, we're not to drink of this cup unworthily. So at some level, there is a way that we can, what, we can take of this, drink of this, when we should not be. Examining our own heart. Are we in full obedience to the Lord? Some of you know that there's areas that you're trying to hide and, and keep hidden. I tell you what, is far more damaging, is far more dangerous to partake of what? Something that represents the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ offers while you're still hiding your sin. And so I would encourage you, even in the moments 
as we prepare to take this, to, to examine your own heart as a time of confession. Maybe you need to go to a brother or a sister that you've sinned against. It's, 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 far, it's far more serious for you to eat this or to drink of this unworthily than what? than maybe thinking for a moment what's someone going to say if I don't take communion today. Maybe there's some heart work that needs to be done. I would invite you to, to just take that time and search. Search me, oh God. You know my heart. You know when I lie down and when you rise up, you know everything about me. And it's in that acknowledgement of our sin and confession of our sin that we accept this and receive this. It's the wonderful gift and the amazing reminder that it is. I'm going to invite elders and, and deacons. We have men that want to serve you. And so they're going to come and, and they're going to, to go to one of the stations. There's five, six stations around the auditorium that I, I want to encourage you just to quiet your own hearts, to, to bow your heads and to pray and, and confess what you feel needs to be confessed. Thanking the Lord for what he has done for us. And in those moments of quietness and examining our hearts, after that I invite you to come up and, and, and go to one of the stations. The men will offer you a cup of, of the juice and, and the bread. And after everyone has received that, as family, this is what we do, we will partake of together. I will ask the Lord's blessing and we'll be grateful for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gentlemen.
Thank you, my brothers. Would you pray with me? Father, as our heads are bowed and we hold this bread and this cup in our hands, we are reminded of the fact that Adam and Eve are less than stellar examples. And we acknowledge that sin just makes us stupid. It makes us make stupid decisions. And Lord, as we are confronted with just the, the significance of e eternal separation and damnation, we're reminded of the heaviness of that. Lord, it's, it's all the more reason to rejoice in knowing that it was through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the pain and the suffering that he endured on our behalf, that we're reminded it's, it's by his stripes that we're healed. And, and we thank you for that. And we love you for the fact that you don't give up on us. I pray, Lord, right now as a family, as body of believers, brothers and sisters, that we would once again be reminded afresh and anew of the sacrifice that was paid for our sins and as we eat this bread and drink the cup that we Lord would be reminded and encouraged to pursue holiness and righteousness as ones who reflect the very image of God we love you we thank you for your, your love for us your, your grace that is amazing your mercies that are new every day bless this bread and cup May it be reminders that we never forget your love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It was actually uh, Paul's address to the church at Corinth who were earlier being described as pe uh, people, a church that was eating unworthily. And he corrected them. He, he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and he gave this instruction that the Lord on the very night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said this. This is what we want to remember. This is my body, the body of Christ, which is for you. Do this, eat this, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, saying, this cup is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time we drink this cup, and eat this bread. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and may he come quickly.